um, around the Abrahamic covenant. And the reason why we got there was because we saw of God's oath that he had taken with Abraham and how in his oath, in his word, in his promise, it never changes. It's always fulfilled. And so that brought us to uh, the Abrahamic covenant. And when we study the covenants, it's more than just what did God say. It reveals a lot about what God is doing. What God has intended from the beginning. Before the beginning, actually. And we'll see that this evening. Um, so while you're turning to Genesis chapter 12, and, I, and I'll just warn you, we're going to take our time. Um, there's no need to rush this. Because what you'll find with these covenants, especially this one, is that it is weaved all throughout the rest of Scripture. And so we're going to be everywhere. But always coming back to um, this covenant between Abraham and God. So Genesis 12 is where we start. And so we, we had a few people who weren't here last week. And so I want to go through a few points quickly to help us get caught back up. I won't take a lot of time, but I want to remind you that last Sunday night's study is recorded and on our website or on Spotify or Apple podcast or however you prefer to listen to it. Um, so we won't go over everything we went over last Sunday night, but a few points um, and a few passages. We'll just do that. A few passages to read to help us uh, with those points. So as you keep your thumb in Genesis 12, go back to Joshua, which is after Deuteronomy. And I want us to see again, which is very important. This is really, really important. What Abraham and his family were doing when, and for y'all that were here last Sunday, I, I promise I won't, I won't preach on any of these passages. Um, I just want us to see them. Joshua 24. We can see what Abraham, who was Abram at the time, and his family were doing when God called Abram out of his land and out of his family. Verse 2 in chapter 24. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord. So we know that this just isn't any other person talking. This is God speaking through Joshua. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Naor, and they served other gods. Okay? They served other gods. Verse 3. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan. So, we have to see and understand that Abraham, or Abram at the time, 
was not a worshiper of God, of Yahweh. He was not, it was not in his realm. He was not looking to please Yahweh, the creator of all things. He was actually worshiping in idolatry. That was his situation. So then the question arised last Sunday, well, why, would, why would he pick an idolatrous worshiper to create from the nation of Israel? Why would he do that? So then we looked at Deuteronomy 7, because he wasn't, I mean, surely God could have found a better candidate Maybe someone who was attempting to, I mean, I don't know. Deuteronomy 7, verse 1. Now, I, we're going to read a little bit here so we can understand the, the scene. It wasn't like there were six people to choose from or one family. Deuteronomy 7, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mighty than you. Okay, there were people scattered across creation. The Tower of Babel had just taken place. God had scattered humanity. There were people to choose from. Um, verse 2. And when the Lord your God gives them... Well, now let's go ahead and go down to 6, just for the sake of time. So remember, God calls Abram, and who does he make out of Abram? Israel, a nation, right? Verse 6. For you are a people, Israel, holy to the Lord your God, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any, any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. So why did God love Israel. Why did he choose Abram? Why did he put his love on these people? And the, the reality of Scripture is it says that he loved them because he loved them. There is no reason. They weren't pleasing in his sight, they weren't seeking something higher. They weren't halfway there to him, so he was. they were the closest for him to grab. He pulled Abram out of idolatry. He was worshiping false gods. And God picks him and gives him a blessing to make out of him a great nation, to make his name great, and to bless the nations through him. That's what we call grace. And we defined grace last Sunday night as unmerited favor. Abram received favor from God that he had not earned. 
at all. And this is the way God works. This is the way God saves. Um, the last verse to look at before we move forward is 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9. So what we want to see as we look at the covenants of God, 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9, we want to see that the new covenant is not a redo, as in God messed up in the other covenants. We want to see that God had a purpose, a will, a plan from before time. Before the ages began. Second, uh, Second Timothy 1, 8 and 9. And we've got some more passages to help us think through this later. So like I said, as we study the covenants, we're going to see more than just what God told Abraham, but how it affects the whole redemptive plan and story. Right? So First Timothy, Second Timothy 1, Paul, verse 8. Paul tells Timothy something great. Verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God. Comma, verse 9, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So God called, saved, well, he's, Paul is saying to Timothy, but this applies to all who are in Christ, not because of anything that they were or did, just like Abram had not become anything pleasing to the Lord, but because of his own purpose and grace. But look where this, became, where this came from, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. God didn't look around and say, oh, I messed up. He didn't do that in the garden. He didn't do that with, the, with one covenant or the next covenant or with the new covenant. His purpose and will was being fulfilled from the moment he said, let there be light until he sets foot back on this earth. Right? It's a story of redemption from beginning to end. That he planned and knew always. Okay, so let's go back to Genesis 12. We'll just, we'll read Genesis 12 and we'll move on. Uh, we'd only looked at one through three last week, uh, kind of. So we'll, we'll revisit that and then push through to four through nine. Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. And remember, we, we saw in Deuteronomy that there were many of people there. And it, it isn't as if God looked around and he was trying to find someone worthy. The point being that there's, there's, never, there's never anyone worthy of God's blessing. And not because we're not because I'm, you know, I've got this bad attitude towards people. It's just because you're all a bunch of sinners. And I am too. And everyone who's ever walked this earth. 
And I think I asked you guys uh, Wednesday night, why is that? And you were like, it's because we're born that way. That's right. Sin came through one man to all men and death followed. Men and women. So God didn't come around and was like, oh, I can't, can't use you. I can't use you. He's like, I can't use any of you. But you know what? I'm going to use you, Abram. So that's, that's what he does. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. That's number one. I will bless you and make your name great. Number two, he does change his name to the father of many nations. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Notice, that's outside of Israel. That's not just the families in Israel. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, so now let's move forward and let's read 4 through 9. And we'll stop along the way here. Verse 4. So Abram went. Okay, now we'll, we'll notice as we continue our study of this, we might touch on it tonight. So Abraham went is Abraham acting in faith, right? This was Abraham, the fruit of Abraham's faith. We'll, we'll talk more about that later. So Abraham went, and as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai's wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered. And the people that they had uh, acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Okay, now, as a kid, I remember thinking, man, it sure took them a long time to get to Canaan. But that was just because I wasn't, I hadn't read the Old Testament enough. I hadn't read this chapter enough. So they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, they were there. It was no problem. It only took one verse. They were there. No struggles. But if you think back, uh, he says, oh, where is it? Oh, I'm, I'm ahead of myself. I'm sorry. Um, they came to the land of Canaan. Verse 6. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem and to the oak at Morah. And at the time, the Canaanites were in the land. So people had already possessed the land. So look what God says in verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, that's a very, very important word for the next few weeks, offspring. Okay, that's very important. Uh, do you know where we might have seen that word before Genesis 12? Anybody got any ideas? It's kind of a different take on it, but maybe um, 
I will put enmity between you and the woman. Oh yeah, between your offspring and her offspring. God's curse upon Satan is actually God's promise of the gospel through an offspring of the woman. So that word is really important in Scripture. We're going to see it all throughout. Alright? So the Lord appeared to Abram as Abram has gone into Canaan and he's gone, he's, kind of, he's, a, he's seen it. He's seen what it looks like. To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord. So we've added to the promise. So the, first, the promise was a great nation, a great name, and bless, the, bless all the families of the earth through you. But now he's saying, this land I will give you. I will give to your offspring. So he built there an altar to the Lord who happened to, or who had appeared to him. You see that? So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Think about that for a second. Think about Abram. He's standing before these wooden idols. He's standing before things that he might have made with his own hands. And then the creator of the universe who made him, who made that wood, appeared to him. I want you to just think about that for a second. That's, that reminds me of Philippians 2. That Christ humiliated Himself. He, in His humiliation, came to earth, took on form of man, suffered as man, but to the point that He hung on a cross and died for the sake of saving them. God is in the business of condescending, coming down to people who do not deserve it. That is His love and goodness being expressed. That God would appear to Abram is... That's a very big deal. I just, I don't, I can't dwell on that enough. Chew on that this week. And, I, and think about it in your perspective. We're no different from Abram. We're no different from all of these others who, who have, have no right for the God of the universe to say, here I am. Here I am. Okay. Verse 8. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, to Yahweh, and called upon the name of the Lord. Oh, that's good. 
He built an altar. He worshipped. He worshipped. He called upon the name of Yahweh. And Abraham journeyed on. He journeyed, He left. God wanted him to keep going. And he went on towards Negeb. Alright, now let's jump down to... Uh, let's read 10. We'll, we'll just keep reading here. Oh no, I'm sorry. 13. I wanted to push through the train. So they make their way actually to Egypt. They go through Canaan, down to Negeb, into Egypt. There was a famine there, so they were into Egypt sojourning. Right? And then in chapter 13, let's jump down to verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after, okay, after Lot had separated from him, so Abram and his family came back up towards Canaan, and him and Lot split. Lot went the way he wanted to go, and Abram took what was left. But then in verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring, new word there, forever. For That word was not... He's expanding upon His promise to Abraham. It's not changing. He's just giving more detail. So we now see that it is forever. Now how? How can this be? That God would promise a land forever. So here's what I want y'all to have to start trying to do. Especially as we're looking at this Abrahamic covenant. We have to think not only the immediate, but also the ultimate fulfillment. So we have an immediate fulfillment of God's promise, but there's always an ultimate fulfillment. Right? And then we also, so we think immediate and ultimate, but we also just can't think physical. But we also have to think spiritual. Because ultimately, the ultimate fulfillment is spiritual. Now, this is kind of like a spoiler alert, but turn to 2 Corinthians. I had forgot about this one. This is just one verse, just so we can see it and know it's there and come back to it when we need it. Well, maybe two verses. Let's start at 18 and... Oh, I'm sorry, it's chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 18. As surely as God is faithful... 18. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, 
Salvanius and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in Him it is always yes. This is the verse. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. All the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. So, we'll go back to Genesis. When we are thinking about covenants, especially this Abrahamic covenant, we can't get stuck in the immediate and the physical. We have to also think about the ultimate fulfillment. All of God's promises are yes, find their yes in Jesus. And then this uh, the spiritual, that we're just not thinking a physical people, we're not just thinking a physical land, but we're thinking spiritual beyond that. So here's two, or here's a verse to help us with that. Okay? I'm sorry, I told you to go back to Genesis 12, but I meant to say Hebrews 11. It's a big jump. So when we're thinking about the, you know, the promise of this land forever, we have to think not just immediate, not just physical, but also ultimate and spiritual. And Hebrews 11 gives us commentary on Abraham and his mindset that opens up this idea about ultimate and, and spiritual. Because guess what? Abraham wasn't ready to just pitch his tent in some land. Well, let's just read it. Um, Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. Now remember, this is the faith chapter uh, of Hebrews. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So when he left, he, he knew he was going to be living in tents in a foreign land with his sons. And his grandsons. Now, why is this? Verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That one ain't physical. Right? That one's not physical. So, let's jump down to 13. Here's some more commentary on what Abraham was looking for. These all died in faith, Abraham and Sarah, not having received the things promised. Where was Abraham when he died? He was in that land. That's where he was. When these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged 
that they were strangers and exiles on earth, even in Canaan. Verse 14, For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one, spiritual. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. So, now, do you could Abraham write this out as well as the Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews? Could he have spoken exactly all that he was? No, he was living by faith, knowing that the promises of God were bigger than a piece of land, knowing that it wasn't. I mean, the God of the creation came to him. It couldn't have been just about land. It couldn't have been just about his kids that he was going to have. Which brings us to this next point. Uh, you stay there. I'll read Genesis 12 and then we'll go to Revelation. At the end of that promise in Genesis 12, he says, or I'm sorry, Genesis 13, for, the, for this is given to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. So again, we have to think not only for the land, but for the offspring. We can't just think immediate, but we have to think ultimate. We can't just think Isaac and Jacob and so on and so forth. But where are we going with this? Even further. Even further. And we can't just think physical, which again is who? Abraham's physical offspring. Give me Abraham's physical offspring. Name one. Isaac? Who else? Ishmael. It wasn't just physical. It was spiritual. It wasn't just physical. It wasn't just immediate. It was ultimate fulfillment. They were looking for something more than the right now and what was in front of them physically. Now let's look when we think about an offspring that is as numerous as the dust on the earth. Go to Revelation 7. Look at verse 9. So we have this before verse 9. We have John hearing. We have him hearing of a number of the sealed. And it's a perfect 144,000. Sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Now, I challenge you, just for the sake that you can study, the, if you want to study this list, you cannot find this list of the way it said, the tribe of the sons of Israel, anywhere in Scripture. It is not listed this way anywhere in Scripture. Who is the firstborn of 
Israel of uh, Jacob? It was Reuben, right? Look who's listed first on this list. Judah. Uh, Simeon, the second born, is like five or six down. Levi, the third born, is like right after him. And then you've got Joseph in there. Joseph didn't get an inheritance of the, of the, of the tribes of Israel. This list isn't like any list that you will find of the tribes of Israel. So John hears this number and he hears of these tribes in this perfect 144,000. But verse 9, after this, I looked. He sees. He sees and behold. Remember, the offspring of Abraham are what? A number that cannot be numbered of the sands of the earth. I, uh, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and language. And what were they doing? They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes. This is the church. This is the children of God. This, these people, this multitude are the offspring of Abraham. Now, let's make sure we can see that in Scripture. Let's turn to Romans. Again, we have to, as we look at these covenants, as we look at the Abrahamic covenant, we cannot just be focused on the immediate and the physical, but we're thinking about the spiritual and the ultimate fulfillments that they have. Who are the offspring that are referred to in this Abrahamic covenant? Now we've got to go through a few passages in Romans to see this. Start in Romans 2, and we're gonna this will be the end of our our study this evening. Go to Romans 2, starting in verse 27. Romans 2.27, we're wanting to define the offspring who have been who, who are in this promise from God to Abraham. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and the circumcision but break the law. Here we go. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter, his praise is not from man, but from God. So there we have Paul telling the Romans it's not all about the physical. We're looking inwardly. To be a Jew doesn't just mean you are one physically, but one inwardly. Now, okay, so what else? Now go to chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now this is where you've got to really hang on here and, and follow along. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham... 
our forefather according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So we understand, and we're part of this argument in Romans 4, is Abraham was justified by faith, not by his works. We know this because he was an idolatrous. Okay? Verse 3. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. For to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, has faith, is counted as righteous. Jump down to verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Okay, so does that circumcision matter? Does that physical matter in his justification? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Here's where we get good. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So, a Jew is not one merely outward, but inward. Abraham is the father of all who believe. Do you see? Offspring that are promised in Genesis 12, 13, and 15 isn't just those whom are going to be born physically. We know that's not the case. We know that's not the case. The offspring of Abraham who are recipients of the promise are all those who believe. They have been circumcised not outwardly, but inwardly. That is the new birth. That is the work of God by the Holy Spirit. The purpose was to make him, Abraham, the father of all who believed without being circumcised. So the righteousness would be counted to them as well. As well. Go down to verse 16. Then we'll move on from this passage. And I want to show you just a few more things to help us understand and really drive this point home. Verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise... What promise? We just... We're reading it. We're studying it in Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace... Abraham's calling and salvation rested on God's grace alone. And it goes the exact same way for all who would believe. From him to the last person that believes before he would return. As Paul said, not by his works, but by the purpose and grace of God before the ages began. The promise may rest on grace and here's the really great part about this. When we look at the covenants, 
and be guaranteed. Who do you want a guarantee from? Send me your money back, I guarantee. Don't ever listen to them. But when God guarantees it, it is written, it is done, it is finished. It cannot be nullified. And as Christ said it, it is finished. So we look and study the covenants to help us understand God and His promises, not just to a physical people, but to all who would believe. All the offspring of Abraham. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Not all people, all who believe. Who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father. We haven't got to this verse yet in Genesis. I have made you the father of many nations, not just of one, but of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believes, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's salvation, folks. To bring life to the dead and call into existence the things that do not exist. Abraham, nothing. He bowed down before wood. And God called him into existence, into the kingdom of God that he was building. And he was the father in the beginning of it all. Now, look at Romans 9. Just, I'll, I'll shorten the text, starting in 6. Verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 6. Paul is lamenting because his Paul is lamenting because his kinsmen according to the flesh as he says in verse 3. Notice his kinsmen according to the flesh. He's, he is lamenting and he says I would be accursed for the sake that my brothers my physical brothers ethnic Jews would know Christ. Verse 6 but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall all your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise as counted are counted as offspring." The children of the promise are counted as offspring. The promise of God to Abraham to bless the nations includes us as spiritual offsprings of Abraham through faith. Through faith alone. Go to Galatians. I hope... I hope this is stirring up something in you and understanding that salvation is not this thing. Our, 
our eternal life is not this thing that just uh, manifested itself in, from thin air because of something that we had done, but we can see the work of God from before time began and seeking, as He told Israel, a people for His possession. And we are included in that possession as offspring, as children of the promise. Galatians 3, verse 7. Paul again, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It doesn't get any clearer than that. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. God preached the gospel to Abraham in that blessing. And He promised the gospel to the Gentiles to Abraham in that blessing. Saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed among along with Abraham, the man of faith. The man of faith. Now I'll read this one. If you want to turn to if you're tired of turning, I understand. But we've got Hebrews 2, and then this is it. Hebrews 2. Verse 14 through 18. And we see this as the work of Christ, but we see who we see who it's pointed towards in Hebrews 2 verses 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood humanity, but notice he uses the word children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Christ, likewise partook of the same thing. What? Flesh and blood. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Verse 16. Here's where, here's where we're focused here. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. The Son of God had a specific mission. He had a specific purpose when He came to help the offspring of Abraham, the children of faith, Do you believe today that Christ had you in mind specifically when He came, took on flesh, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died, was buried, on the third day rose from the dead? It is not a general thing that just gets tossed up in the air, but the, specific, the specificity of the nature and plan and purpose of God is what saves you and what ultimately, we want to throw up this phrase, once saved, always saved. The only reason no one who is in Christ ever loses their salvation is because 
of the will, plan, and purpose of God from before the ages of Gen uh, began, and it was secured in Christ Jesus. It is applied to us by the Holy Spirit, and it will never leave. You can never lose it. Not because of your effort. Not because of your, your, your white-knuckling it. But because when Christ died on the cross, He died as a ransom for you according to the purpose and grace of God before the ages began. And it gets all tied up and we can understand it and see it in the covenant with Abraham. And it is a continuous redemptive story throughout the end of time and culminates in that city that is built by God for the offspring of Abraham. That's something to walk out of here and find comfort in. To know that the reason you are in Christ and the reason that He will never leave you or forsake you, that nothing created will ever separate you from the love of Christ is because of God. And that He cannot tell a lie. And He is faithful. And this is why we study the covenants, to see who God is, His purpose, His plan. And therefore, as Paul says in Romans 8, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For do not we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And that's based on God's Word. And I don't just mean the Bible, I mean on His promise. Let's pray.